Oral questions by members? Member for West Vancouver, Capilano. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. One in five British Columbians are without a family doctor. The situation is getting worse, and BC now ranks only ahead of Quebec for percentage of the population without a regular health care provider. Last week, the Premier lashed out in his attempts to dodge responsibility. He blamed Ottawa, he blamed the opposition, and he even blamed newcomers. Mahas Goshenka says, and I quote, I'm 72 years old, I moved to Victoria about two years ago, and I'm still searching for a doctor, end quote. Why did the Premier blame newcomers, like Manaz, instead of helping to ensure that all British Columbians can access a family doctor? Premier of British Columbia. Thank you, thank you Honourable Speaker, and I, and I thank, uh, thank the member for her question. Uh, I was attempting to respond last week to this line of questioning by focusing on the challenges that all British Columbians are facing, whether they live uh, in urban centres or they live in rural British Columbia. We have been uniquely challenged in British Columbia because of the influx of people from across Canada and indeed around the world who have come to British Columbia as a place to uh, put down roots and raise families. With that comes a requirement for services, and we have had uh, questions raised by opposition members, appropriately so, about the challenges of housing, the challenges of health care, the challenges of child care, all a result of the desirability of our province as a place to put down roots. So I, I, I embrace and, and rejoice in that, but we also have to acknowledge that there are downs with the ups, and one of them is providing the myriad of services that the member inventoried and, and I've just added to. With respect to the federal government, at no time have I blamed the federal government. Quite, con quite the contrary, I've appealed to the federal government to join with provinces across the country to reimagine health care, to make sure that we have the services people need now and in the future. That is by making sure that our primary health care system and the network that we are establishing here in British Columbia provides services to people as they need it, where they need it. That's going to take a significant infusion of cash, which has been lacking from successive federal governments going back decades, not, not days, not months, but decades. This is acknowledged by premiers across the country. I am uh, honoured to be the head of the Council of the Federation today and for the next number of months, and my obligation is to continue to work collaboratively with my colleagues on behalf of all of us so that we can address the challenges the member so quite, quite rightly points out. West Vancouver Capilano Supplemental. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the Premier. Uh, but this government knows that immigration is happening, that people are moving here. We have those numbers. We have to anticipate that. That can't be an excuse or a reason for us not having enough doctors in British Columbia. It's time for the Premier to look in the mirror and do something other than to deflect. Immigrant women are particularly vulnerable, yet shamefully, the Premier chose to scapegoat people instead of helping them. Kashmir Olik writes, Kashmir Olik writes, and I quote, my wonderful doctor will be retiring very soon, and I'm terrified of not receiving proper medical care. Often women of color are not taken seriously, and their concerns are dismissed, leading to more serious health complications, end quote. Will the Premier stand up today, take full responsibility, and tell Kashmir what he is going to do to ensure that hundreds of thousands of British Columbians and she has a family doctor? Premier. Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And at no time in my life have I ever, ever scapegoated immigrants. I'm the child of an immigrant, and I'm proud and proud to be part of a community. 
and I appreciate, I appreciate the member is not wholly sincere in her desire to denigrate me. She wants to draw attention to the issue, and I respect that portion of her question. With respect to taking responsibility and accountability as the head of the government, I do so today. On behalf of all British Columbians, the dollar stops with me, the finance minister and the health minister, as well as all of us working collaboratively to provide the services our citizens want. What we have been doing is trying to break the traditional mold of you need a GP or you can't get health care by putting in place primary care networks so we can provide the services people need in a real-time basis in communities across British Columbia. It's working. It will take more time. And the influx of people coming from around the world is exciting for all of us. But it does have... It does have... It does have costs, and we all in this House have to pass budgets to make sure that we can provide the services for people, and we'll be bringing forward those budgets as we have uh, since February, and I look forward to unanimous support when the health budget comes forward in the next number of days. Opposition House Leader. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, only in NDP land would they say that, that uh, presiding over uh, an increase of 200,000 British Columbians who are no longer attached uh, to uh, primary care physicians, that somehow that reflects the primary care networks actually working in this province. It's been an abysmal failure under this Premier and under this government. And for two elections, the Premier has actually promised British Columbia that he would make uh, uh, health care better. Instead, the opposite is actually true. Healthcare has been deteriorating day by day by day. It's worsening under this, under this Premier. Now, Alison Lee is a pediatric ER physician at BC Children's Hospital. She says, and I quote, the hospital is increasingly overwhelmed by patients presenting with issues that could be better treated by family physicians. It's terrible for families who have to wait up to nine to 10 hours to get their non-urgent issues addressed, and it adds to the burnout of healthcare workers. End quote. So, Mr. Speaker, my question is this. Instead of blaming others, will the Premier listen? Will he take responsibility? And will he take action now to improve health care for the British Columbians who need it? Premier. Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And uh, I, I don't want to draw attention to the 16 years that uh, BC Liberals had, where they came up with not a solution for health care, but a bumper sticker. A GP for me. A GP for me. That's what they ran on in three successive elections, Honourable Speaker, and at the end of those three successive elections, there were fewer GPs than there were when they started. So if you're going to be throwing rocks in a glass house, Honourable Speaker, you should check the fortifications before you start chucking. Opposition House Leader, supplemental. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, 178,000 British Columbians were attached under our former government. 200,000 additional British Columbians are now without doctors under your government. So, so what, what British Columbians need is, is uh, they need less uh, empty rhetoric and they actually need results with all due respect to the Premier. And the crisis uh, in healthcare isn't just taking place at BC Children's Hospital. Over the weekend, Royal Inland Hospital was operating at only 50% of normal nursing complements, putting both patients and staff at risk. Now, we only know that this is actually happening because nurses are coming forward anonymously. One nurse describes the situation like this, and I quote, low morale, high stress, toxic, dangerously short-staffed, unsafe. I leave feeling defeated, hopeless, and afraid that we miss something and that we'll be held responsible for poor outcomes we have no control over, end quote. That's one of the nurses under immense stress and pressure at Royal Inland Hospital today. 
As the Premier knows, Royal Inland is one of the uh, two only tertiary re referral hospitals in interior health, and it's one of the largest trauma uh, hospitals in all of British Columbia. What's happening there is inexcusable, and it's getting worse. When is this Premier going to fix this? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker. First, I want to um, both acknowledge and recognize the extraordinary work of everyone at Royal Inland Hospitals and at hospitals across British Columbia who have done exceptional work over the last two years of the pandemic. I think it's important to note the exceptional efforts that have taken place across health authorities to respond to what has been a longer than two years now and continuing uh, COVID-19 pandemic. In that time, we've added 30,000 healthcare workers in BC, 30,000. The opposition on Thursday suggested that we lost 8,000 healthcare workers. They're wrong. We actually report on this every year. We do it under the Ministry of Finance, and the fact that it was the finance critic of the opposition raising those issues shows that they haven't clearly seen that. Further, Statistics Canada shows that we've led across Canada in the recruitment of new healthcare workers. Now, that doesn't mean in the midst of two public health emergencies there are not exceptional challenges, and that we need to continue this work on behalf of the healthcare system in BC to make sure that we have the people in place to provide a high level of care. Members all around the house understand if they visit hospitals, they know this, if they talk to nurses, they talk to doctors, they talk to health sciences professionals, they talk to healthcare workers, they know the challenges, but they also know the unprecedented investment by this provincial government in supporting those healthcare workers. Leader of the third party. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. There have been literally dozens of reports uh, over the decades identifying the systemic failures of the Ministry of Children and Families. In 2018, then-Representative for Children and Youth Bernard Richard raised his grave concerns about group homes and called out the Ministry of Children and Family Development's lack of oversight as leaving youth facing, quote, unacceptable risk. In 2019, the Auditor General requested an audit of contracted residential homes and found the same conclusion. The Ministry was failing to provide effective oversight or monitoring of group homes. The Minister of Children and Family responded to these issues by saying that her Ministry is taking incremental steps. These reports, year after year, call for urgent and transformative action, but what we hear from the Minister is incrementalism. My question through you, Honourable Speaker, is to the Minister of Children and Family Development. Which is it? Is her minister taking incremental steps, or are they acting with the urgency that is necessary in this situation? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. Um, there's nothing more important, Honourable Speaker, than keeping the children and youth in our care safe and making sure that they are well and healthy and well cared for. Um, since forming government in 2017, uh, because we know there have been many reports by the representative for children and youth, especially between 2014 and 2017, the Ministry did start work in this area, Honourable Speaker. Um, the Ministry has actually already created an inventory of each agency and service provider so that we're better able to match those resources to the needs of children and youth if they do have to come into care. 
We've set clear standards and expectations for these homes and for caregivers and a system of audit, Honourable Speaker. In 2018, we created a provincial placement process and a centralised system for recruiting and screening potential caregivers. So that means that um, we're able to do all of the criminal record checks and other record checks that are needed as well. And we imposed a moratorium, Honourable Speaker, so no new contracted agencies would proceed without the approval of the Provincial Director of Child Welfare. And we will be taking more steps, Honourable Speaker. There is more work to do. We will be building a system of specialised homes and support services, making sure that we match the services for children and youth who do have to come into the care system with their needs and helping them to thrive. Leader of the Third Party, Supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. It's interesting to hear the Minister talk about standards and expectation and systems of audit. You can look at those practice audits and you can see the dismal failure rate, sometimes zero, sometimes 14%, sometimes 30%, but a consistently dismal failure rate of those practice audits. Where's the accountability? What's the expectation, Honourable Speaker, when a practice audit has failed? Who's held to account for that? What is the response of the ministry? On Friday, the coroner's office announced that it would hold a public inquest into the death of Trayvon Desjardins Chalifou, a Cree 17-year-old boy who died by suicide in an Abbotsford group home in September of 2020. In a statement to the Globe and Mail last week, the Ministry of Children and Families indicated, quote, it is moving to create an inventory of the agencies and service providers that deliver care. Moving to create an inventory. This government speaks of transforming the system, but it does not even know yet of all the contractors that they have and are, who are providing services. The past five years have seen report after report on how this government is failing to hold itself accountable for the state of group homes in this province. And in April of 2022, a month ago, the Representative for Children and Youth released yet another report detailing how little this ministry can account for its own spending, particularly when it comes to Indigenous youth and families. My question, Honourable Speaker, through you is to the Minister of Children and Families. How can the public and families trust her ministry with the lives of the most vulnerable children in the province and a $2 billion budget when she can't even tell us where the money is going. Minister. Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And I'd like to um, start by recognising that the, the death of a child is a, a tragedy um, and is heartbreaking. And I offer my condolences to everybody who knew the young person. Um, nothing is more important than keeping children and youth safe and making sure um, that we support them in fulfilling their potential. As the member knows, I'm not able to speak to uh, specific incidents, but what I can say is uh, it is a priority for our ministry to make sure that we keep children and youth safe um, and wherever possible that we keep families together. 
Our ministry has done a lot of work uh, to improve the system, particularly in response to Indigenous children and youth. We know that they're overrepresented in the child welfare system. And so our ministry, our government, has been taking steps, Honourable Speaker. We changed provincial legislation to be able to, um, when significant action is being taken in the life of a child or a youth, to be able to talk to community and to ask and say, is there an auntie, is there a, a grandma, somebody in the community who can help and who can provide supports and services um, for a child? It's we, we raised the level of support for uh, carers who are providing out-of-care placements. And, Honourable Speaker, we're now seeing fewer Indigenous children and youth in care, um, and the lowest number of Indigenous children and youth in care in 20 years, Honourable Speaker. We have a lot of work to do, um, and we have continued every year in investing in my ministry. Uh, my budget has gone up every year since 2017. We have a lot more work to do, Honourable Speaker, but our, our government has shown our commitment to improving the system in the interests of children and youth. Member for Caribou-Chilcotin. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. One in five British Columbians do not have a doctor. There is a crisis in health care. Mr. Speaker, it's both for our health care staff, who are exceptional, but also for our, pa our patients. A nurse who fears being identified because she would be fired says, and I quote, I feel like the hospital is on the verge of something tragic happening because we are stretched too thin." End quote. Recently, one of my constituents with a life-threatening infection was left on a gurney for five hours with no water and no food. Mr. Speaker, at 90 years old, he was left for hours in pain, covered in his own jacket for warmth, in a children's playroom with sheets duct taped to the windows for privacy. Will the Premier take responsibility and act to fix what is a broken system so that British Columbians can get the care that they so desperately need? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member uh, for his question. I think that the work done by healthcare professionals and healthcare workers in BC over this period of pandemic, over this period of overdose public health emergency, has been exceptional. There are, uh, Honourable Speaker, very significant challenges under those circumstances. And in that time, British Columbia has taken significant steps to support the system. We've led the country in adding healthcare workers to the system, led the country in adding LPNs to the system, had led the country in adding staff to the system to support long-term care and acute care. I'm happy to review any issue brought to my attention by the Honourable Member. He will know that I don't speak to specific issues in public and can't, but I'm happy to discuss the specifics of the issue that he raises with him at any time. He and his colleague knows that I consistently do that with mem all members of the House, and I'm happy to engage in that. When you look at it, you look around BC, and you see the improvements being made in, in healthcare facilities and the investment in those facilities, in the support of staff and on our overall response to the pandemic, it has been excellent. And I'm happy to respond to the member and meet with the member about any concerns he has with respect to his constituent. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, well, perhaps the minister needs to dig a little more into those StatsCan uh, figures that he keeps talking about because Stats Canada says BC is the only major province to lose hospital employees during the pandemic. 
flat out. And the minister can say the system's getting better. It's not. These are people working in the system pleading for help from this government. Here's another nurse who's come forward. I can't name this nurse, though, because of an NDP gag order. And I will quote, morale is terrible. Staffing is awful. We feel unsupported and unappreciated. We feel abandoned. Never in my life have I felt as worthless and expendable as I do now. End quote. When will the Premier stop pointing the fingers everywhere else and blaming other people and actually fix this crisis? And at a minimum, maybe even acknowledge a crisis exists. Minister of Health. Honourable Speaker, uh, the member opposite is the finance critic of the opposition. We count the number of health care workers we have in BC since the pandemic. We count them. It's a report that he receives every year and all members of the House re receives every year. 2019, I know the opposition prefers surveys to facts, but there you go, Honourable Speaker. Honourable Speaker, that's a... Honourable Speaker, 2000... Let's 2000, see answer. 2019, 186,775. 2021, 216,020. Those are just the facts. Honourable Speaker, the member refers to StatsCan. And I, I encourage him actually to, to read the reports. Because what does StatsCan say? Quote, BC experiences the highest growth in health employment of any provinces during the pandemic. The, the, member, the member is simply wrong on the facts wrong on the facts, he takes, there's actually, and this is something StatsCan did, they reclassified employees. The numbers are the same. You just have to read the whole report and you'll see what the facts are. You'll see what the facts are. With respect to, with respect to what the member refers to, you know, the facts. 8,000, he says, it isn't 8,000, it's 30,000 the other way. Last, he says, we're actually first in Canada, Honourable Speaker. Up is down, Honourable Speaker. But I would say this, Honourable Speaker, the member refers to a gag order. I just want to re re uh, read to him from the code of conduct that he's referring to. Interior health employees are free to comment on public issues. Just repeat, interior health employees are free to comment on public issues, but must exercise caution to ensure that by doing so they do not jeopardize the perception of impartiality in the performance of their duties. That's right. That is right in the document they referred to that they quoted from last week. They Member. quoted from last week, but they didn't quote the whole thing. They didn't quote the facts. Member for Kelowna Mission. Let's hear the question, please. Members. Member will continue. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Here's a fact. Members. Here is another nurse who could lose her job for coming forward if I named her. I'm going to quote. Staffing is beyond horrific. I've been here almost 30 years, and I'm beyond articulating how terrible I feel after 12 hours. On one of my shifts, an elderly lady waited in the hall for seven hours before nursing was able to reassess her. 
No turns, no fluids, no IV, no diaper change. I cried and then went home and cried again, end quote. Will the Premier act now and stop our health care system from collapsing? Minister of Health. Oh, Honourable Speaker, um, uh, I know uh, the member talks to nurses, and I talk to nurses on a regular basis. I know members of the opposition do as well. And I know the challenges that they have faced in particular in this extraordinary period that we've been in and the exceptional work that they do. That's why BC and these are, again, I know uh, they may not fit the question, but they are important, has added, we were at the bottom of the country in nurses per capita. We've added significant nurses, as you know, in the last number of years, LPNs and registered nurses and nurse practitioners and registered psychiatric nurses. And still, as the member notes, there are every day extraordinary challenges when you're in two public health emergencies. And we are with those nurses, and that's why we are, as the member also notes, making changes to make it easier, for example, for internationally educated nurses to come into the system. We announced those two weeks ago. It's why we continue to give nurses a greater role in primary care, which is critical. And you see that across the system. It's why we have twice as many nurse practitioners now as we did when we became Minister of Health. And those nurse practitioners are active in providing care in the community. There is no question that there are challenges. There are no question there are challenges in the system. But what we have to do is recognize that in this pandemic, the public health care system responded in an exceptional way for people in BC. And we've got to continue, Honorable Speaker, to invest in it, to ensure it does so, and continues to do so in the future. Member for Peace to the South. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Look, the words that we're hearing today that this government seems to be dismissing are actually the words of the healthcare professionals themselves. Uh, here's another nurse who's come forward, but you know I can't name them again because they're worried about the, the pushback that they'll get in the NDP gag order. And I quote, I often stay awake all night before a shift having panic attacks. I cry on my way to work, and then I cry again on my way home, end quote. These are the health professionals' words, what they're talking about. When is this government going to act to fix this crisis and help these frontline workers? Mr. Felt. Well, uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Uh, that's what we are working to do, have been working to do since 2017. It means significant investment all over the province. It means investment in the north to recruit and support nursing there and to deal with what is a significant problem, as the member knows, because we've met and talked about it on a number of occasions. The attrition of healthcare workers in the north, we just don't need to recruit. We need to ensure that people stay there, and that means addressing issues around the quality of work. It means having outstanding healthcare facilities. That's why I'm proud we're building a new hospital in Dawson Creek that the member has advocated for and that we've delivered on, and I think that's a positive thing, to help, again, recruit people. In other words, to continue to invest in our healthcare workers and our healthcare professionals in order to support people who, when they need the healthcare system, get the care they deserve and the care that they need. And that's what we need to continue to do. Official, uh, sorry, Leader of the Official Opposition. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And again today in this legislature, 
We've heard the stories of desperate healthcare professionals. Of course they've done exceptional work. Not one person on this side of the House or any seat in this legislature is saying anything other than that. But here are the facts. Almost a million people in British Columbia do not have an attachment to a family doctor. Doctors are closing their practices. Healthcare professionals that we've heard today are exhausted and burned out. Story after story after story. In this legislature today, just a few of them, and I know this, that every single person in this legislature is hearing those stories. Stories of fear and desperation and frustration. British Columbians would be shocked to know, despite what the minister says, that in Ontario and Quebec, since 2017, hospital employment went up by 14,000 people. And in fact, in Alberta, up by 6,000. And those same numbers point out that British Columbia went in the opposite direction, down by 10,000. And the minister can dispute and people can groan about what nurses are feeling. Let's be clear. When people are told that they can't speak out for fear of consequences, that is described as a gag order and nothing less, and the minister knows it. Here's a quote for the Premier from another desperate nurse. The constant anxiety and feelings of impending doom due to our inability to provide decent care and preserve dignity sticks with us. We are constantly fearful for our licenses and afraid for our patients. We aren't sleeping, we aren't coping, end quote. If those words do not compel this Premier to get up and take action, I don't know what will. We are not coping. The words of a desperate nurse in the healthcare system in British Columbia. So to the Premier. Will he get up today and acknowledge the desperate nurses and healthcare workers in our province who have spoken out, who want to be heard? Will he get up today, acknowledge their voices, and take immediate action? Minister of Health. Uh, Honourable Speaker, uh, the Leader of the Opposition has repeated something the finance critics said that's simply wrong. The Statistics Canada numbers, hospitals 2019, 112.3, 2020, 118.2, 2021, 137. That's what the numbers are. And that, that would be what you'd expect them to be with the exceptional pressure on the public health care system in two public health emergencies. I mean, what the member is suggesting, that we've lost 8,000 workers, is preposterous on the face of it. And it's wrong. It's simply wrong. That doesn't mean that the issues that are being raised are not significant to me and to people. What, it's, what it indicates is that through this exceptional time, when the healthcare system in BC has been put under exceptional strain, our system has responded with courage and generosity. And it needs support now, and it will have it from this government. The bell ends caution.